Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast, where today I'm talking with New York City-based professional dancer, Courtney Ortiz. Her career spans from stage to screen with credits, including the Broadway national tour of Finding Neverland, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, the Radio City Christmas Spectacular featuring the Rockettes, and so much more. If you've ever wondered what it's like to audition and perform in New York City, Courtney shares some great advice, and we cover the mental aspects of being a professional adult performer and how to pick up choreography quickly. And that part you might want to share with any of your dancers who say they only dance to the lyrics or the rhythm and they can't count. Courtney has some great points about being able to pick up choreography quickly and adapt in a professional setting. Spoiler alert, you have to count. And there's even more to the conversation when we turn to judging. Outside of performing, Courtney is an international dance educator and in-demand dance adjudicator as well. She's been teaching on faculty with numerous dance conventions and is currently on guest faculty at the legendary Steps on Broadway. So of course I asked about teaching and judging and how you build your confidence as a judge and if judges can really tell if you're nervous based on your walk-on. Okay, let's get to this. Here's my conversation with New York City-based professional dancer, Courtney Ortiz. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course. I was excited to bring you on. I loved being a guest on Make an Impact podcast with you. Yay. And it was finally time. Thank you for coming and talking with me. I wanted to hear more about you and your journey and your story. And so will you just please introduce yourself? Let us know your kind of dance journey. Sure. So my name is Courtney Ortiz. I live in New York City. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland is where I grew up. And I grew up training there at a competitive dance studio my entire childhood. And I ended up wanting to pursue this as a career and moved to New York City for school at 18. I went to Marymount Manhattan. And I definitely felt pressured to go to school from my parents. So I kind of just like pleased them and went to college for them. But I really wanted to jump into the industry like right away. And school didn't last for me. Unfortunately, I I gave it a try. And hey, we tried. That's good. Yep. Yes, we did. We did the thing. And I ended up leaving early and going straight into my first professional job dancing on Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines which is where I actually met my co-host on my podcast, Leslie. And we were roommates on that ship, our very first job together. And after that, I saved all my money, moved to New York City, and then started my professional performance career, which has been just a dream. And I'm still here. And I've had the opportunity to travel the world performing. And I've dabbled in all sides of the professional industry. So I primarily have worked in a lot of different musicals and performance con performance contracts, West Side Story, Jerome Robbins Broadway, In the Heights, Finding Neverland, a lot of musicals that I've been a part of. And then I have always actually 
been involved heavily in teaching. That also kind of fell into my lap very early on when I was young. I was honestly not even really experienced to be considered a teacher. I I Mm -hmm. got an opportunity to teach on a dance convention, which is wild and crazy at like 21 years old. And that's what kind of broke me into the education side of my career, which I'm always looking back just so grateful for because I have a huge passion for it. And I've been lucky enough to be on multiple different dance conventions for the for the last decade. And um, so I now I'm still, you know, performing occasionally and the life of a New York City auditioning dancer. But I also heavily focus on the teaching aspect of my career where I get to travel and go teach on dance convention faculty as a jazz teacher. And I teach at Steps on Broadway in New York City. And it's just been a dream. I'm just looking back. It's a beautiful career. And I also have a business as well, which is my side hustle, I'd say. So whenever I'm not teaching, not at an audition, not performing, I am at home in my home office, either recording a podcast, or also working on my uh, side hustle, which is called Impact Dance Adjudicators. And we supply judges to dance competition. So we created a a service essentially for the competitive dance industry where we pre-screen and vet an entire roster of judges where we work with different competitions to provide them with the quality judges they're looking for to sit behind the table and uh, help inspire the next generation. I love that. Oh, and so many good things. Okay. I want to talk specifically about the teaching and the judging piece, because I know that's a lot of our uh, a lot of my audience are the teachers. Um, but before I go there, I just have to say, and you're like throwing out like the things I've done in the Heights has to be like my favorite thing I've ever <laughs> like seen. I loved that. Is that how was in the Heights? Tell okay. It was fun I, to do. I will tell you very briefly that it was a dream. And actually, when I look back at it, it, it was always something that I wanted to achieve in my career. So it was one of the very first musicals I saw when I moved to New York City because In the Heights was existing on Broadway around like 2006 to like 2009. I moved here in 2007. So it was one of the shows that I saw. And I, my last name's Ortiz. I grew up in a very predominantly white uh, neighborhood of, my neighborhood in Maryland was very predominantly white. There weren't many other Hispanic people around, but I'm also barely Hispanic. I'm only a quarter. My dad is half Italian, half Mexican. But for some reason, when I got to see In the Heights and see this type of representation on stage and seeing this culture being shown on Broadway in such a unique, different way, it really hit me. And also seeing the dancing in the show. I mean, I love the dancing in the show. Unreal. And I saw that and I sat in the audience and I was like, I know I can be in the show and I need to be in the show. So at the time I was just breaking into the industry as a brand new Broadway dancer in New York City, young and green and 19. And I went to every In the Heights audition I possibly could. And I got very, very close to getting the national tour many times and I just never got it. And then Mm -hmm. fast forward to many more years later where I had more experience under my belt and uh, they did the show at Pittsburgh CLO. It's a regional theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And they did the original Broadway choreography of Andy Blankenbuehler. Um, a lot of the original castmates were a part of the production. It was only like a one month run of the show, but I got to be the exact dancer role that I wanted to be oh. that I saw like, you know, 10 years earlier. I was just like a dream come true. I couldn't have asked yeah. for anything more. So that is such role. a good, like resilient story too, of like yeah. you had this dream and like it didn't happen the first time or the first few times and then deciding exactly. like that doesn't mean it's over. I'm gonna keep exactly. 
it's that's a tough thing for dancers to kind of figure out because yeah. a lot of dancers really will get discouraged right away and say, oh, well, I guess I'm I'm just it's just not I, I can't do this. This isn't in the cards for me. I can't I can't mm-hmm. deal with the rejection. And it's like, of course, that's a part of this world. It's a part of life in general. But uh, I, I truly thought that the that that chance for me was completely done because the show was no longer on Broadway. The show was no longer mm-hmm. touring. So you kind of get you're thinking, okay, I guess it's not, it's not going to happen, but you never know. Right. And I mean, you know me, I go right to the mindset place of like, so when you go to audition for the show, when it's back and you get a chance to go do it in the other theater, did you, were you more nervous or was it more like excitement that there's this opportunity? What was your mindset about the audition? I was super thrilled for the opportunity and I was nervous because I asked my agent for an audition and they didn't do agent auditions so you had to go to like the open cattle call for to be considered for this and I knew I needed to go but of course there's always something that gets in your way and I was on a teaching gig that week the weekend before and I was flying in at the time of the audition. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. gonna be able to make it to the female identifying dancer audition. So I took a risk and I went to the male dancer audition and was hoping that they would see me. And luckily I was like two females that were in the room with a bunch of men. And maybe that helped my chances, I don't know, maybe it did. Uh, But I felt very confident walking in and holding my own against a a pool of male dancers and then we also had to do some latin partnering and i've had the opportunity to work with the actual choreographer of the latin movement in a previous show that i did so then i i already knew what i was doing i was like okay i got this like i've done i've done all the work and put in the time everywhere else to feel confident but i was definitely nervous i think i was just nervous because of my audition situation you know like not being yeah. around the females, like going on the guys and not knowing any of the choreographers either. But uh, I think I made a good impression and then it all happened to work out. So yeah. what a crazy audition story. But you're right. I think confidence comes so much when we like can look back. You're like I did the work. I've done this training. So which yes. is, as you said, different from when you auditioned the first time around when you were first in the industry, like having exactly. that underneath you. Yeah, because like you if people know in the heights it's very like hip-hop movement contemporary styles but then there's a whole latin dance section and like the first time when i auditioned that was like the final part where you have to partner with someone and doing latin ballroom i've never done that in my entire life so i did not feel confident at all doing that and then this next time around you know years later i've done a latin partnering show at this point i have the experience under my belt i've i've you know, made the right connections to be able to feel confident in that moment later. And sometimes that's what needs to happen is you just have to wait and put the work in and that's when your time will come. Yes. Such good advice. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the sidebar story before we get into the judging and teaching. I just love it. Uh, Okay. I want to talk about uh, judging some, because I know with your extensive competitive dance world experience, and as you said, running your side gig that is such a successful business, but technically a side gig. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about like the mental skills involved in judging, because I think mm-hmm. we don't always remember that judges are human and yes. judges are also dealing with their own, you know, mental skills and trying to be confident. So uh, speaking about confidence, do you think it's important for the judge to be confident in their role? And if so, like, how does a judge build their confidence? 
Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough question. It is it is a hard job to be a competitive dance judge and uh it's blown up in the industry for sure as far as like mm-hmm. just competitions in general. I mean, when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of competitions. They were maybe like 30, 40 yeah. maximum. Now there's like 200 plus in just the United States. So, right. um there's so there's such a demand and need for dance competition judges. Um the hardest part I think is finding judges that can cover every genre of dance. I think that right. is like the most insane expectation of our industry to be able to be quote unquote qualified enough to sit behind that table. Uh, I think that a lot of the attendees will always find something to complain about when it comes mm-hmm. to a dance competition judge, whether it's, Oh, you don't know how to score or, Oh, your, your bio is all nothing, nothing but ballet. So how do you know how to judge tap or, Oh, wow. You obviously you've never taken a hip hop class before because you're using incorrect terms in your critiques. Like there's always something. So then it just kind of really pushes us down and really uh, makes us not feel confident to be completely honest. Even if we feel like we have done the work and, and have the training to back up what we're saying. No, there are so many times that I have questioned myself as a tap judge when I grew up training in tap my entire life. And sure, I'm not actively teaching tap. That's not really where my career has taken me. But if you, if I go to an audition and I tap, I'm one of the stronger ones in the room. Now, there's a difference between being a great tap dancer and being a great tap judge or sure. being a great tap teacher. Um, but I will say that like specifically when it comes to tap, that's where I think most judges lack confidence because even the strongest tap dancers and tap judges have a hard time critiquing it. If you really mm-hmm. think about it, you have to be listening to what's happening, you know, not with the music, the tempo and the rhythms that the dancers are creating because they're using their shoe as an instrument mm-hmm. to then add a layer of dialogue on top of that. It's kind of hard. And right. I think that a lot of the people that uh, always complain about tap in particular on their critiques, I think you have to like take a step back and try it for yourself first before you uh, judge the judges on how they're delivering their feedback. Cause it's truly yeah. just, it's a whole, it's a whole different world. It's completely different than being in the front of the room, doing the steps with your feet and explaining it. You have to just sit there and listen and try to give some helpful feedback when you're trying to like, decipher what did I just watch mm-hmm. what was that sound supposed to be what were we even going for there like mm-hmm. so I think that is definitely discouraging for a lot of judges who also might not feel strong in tap and they know they're about to get bashed probably no matter mm-hmm. what um, because maybe they're a jazz dancer or maybe they excel at lyrical or maybe they're a fantastic hip-hop dancer but they're not the strongest tapper so I would yeah. say tap is one of the harder genres that feels a little bit discouraging when it comes to sitting behind the table and feeling confident. Um, And I think it's just that expectation of being expected to be experts in every genre of dance is uh, something that's hard for a lot of judges to wrap their head around. Right. I I agree. I think there's like the two pieces to that, that one, we have the expectation that you're an expert in everything, which is an unrealistic expectation. And then it's, kind of back to rejection or like that, you know, you're going to get yelled at, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And so it's really hard to, 
perform your duties in this case, right. giving good, you know, good feedback, but it's really hard to perform. You're like, I know this isn't going to go well, or yep. that's, it's hard to ask that of people. Ah, agreed. It, it, it has gotten to a point where judges are scared. Like I'm mm-hmm. judges have literally come to me saying, I am, I do not feel, I am questioning if I mm-hmm. should be sitting behind this table anymore. And yep. I tell them on my end in particular, we vet our judges to join impact dance adjudicators. We make them submit three different styles of critiques and we listen to them. We analyze them. We give them feedback on how they can do better. We wouldn't have brought them onto the roster if we didn't see their potential as a judge. So I always remind them like, I, we think you're great. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to get better at, at judging is getting out there and doing it. So don't second guess yourself. You've made it to this point to be able to join our roster and our roster we feel is very like boutique and prestigious in the industry, Mm -hmm. which is we've created a great name for ourselves and have really stirred the pot a bit as far Mm -hmm. as the expectation of judges behind the table. But because of that pressure, it's almost like getting in their head a little bit of, oh no, am I living up to that expectation as well and delivering? Absolutely. Oh yeah. And I know like I, I judged for a long time, but have definitely stepped back from it. Cause it was like not fun anymore in the sense yeah. that like, like the, the teacher in me loved it. Cause I feel like it's like, I get to, you know, connect and try to serve and help. And then it got to a place where it's like, there's too much pressure. I don't like this anymore. Like, this doesn't have that same. Yeah. I lost, I personally lost the joy in it, but I think you can, that doesn't have to be true. Right. Like you said, knowing yeah. that it's okay to be a beginner at it. It's okay to work mm-hmm. through it and get better as you're doing it. And I love that you're helping helping those judges feel better about it. That's great. I I agree. I know a lot of judges that are in that position where they're like, I used to love this. I don't really love it anymore. And it's also just how the industry has shifted as well. It's it's turned into a place where, yes, we're here to help the dancers, but also like the teachers have somehow been completely eliminated and pulled away from the equation of a competition critique. And I think that a lot of judges find frustration in that because there's a lot of things that if the teachers just tweaked this training method or if the teachers just tweaked the song choice or changed the costume or something like that, and if we as judges were allowed to say that, Mm -hmm. then um, there would be more progress in the industry, but we've almost been silent from speaking to the choreographers and the teachers and the studio owners. So a lot of judges just find it really frustrating where we're almost limiting what we're able to share and our opinions and our, you know, what we've learned from our training. So a lot of people have said, I don't really want to do this anymore. And I'm like, I get it. I do. But I do. I hope that our industry starts to shift a bit where the competition. So we'll start listening to conversations like these to, um, you know, open up the, the dialogue a bit in a very constructive way to mm-hmm. the teachers and the choreographers. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point. And I, I think we, it's back to what's the point of the competition. Are we there to educate and learn and grow from it? And if that's truly the purpose, you can't limit, like you said, restrict yeah. what you're able to talk about with that, like that you're missing what you should be exactly. able to get out of a competition. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. I, when I think about judges and like when I was judging too, I always hear dancers like tell each other and stuff to like, you know, take the stage with confidence, you know, hold your head up. Like the judges can tell if you're nervous, Mm. like there's always that dialogue. Uh, Do you agree? Do you think judges notice the like body language cues and does that influence your judging if it looks like dancers are nervous when they're taking the stage? We can tell definitely. I mean, I can tell 
by, like you said, the body language, I think is usually the, the one thing that you can kind of get a, a taste of the dancer, even just how they walk on stage. It is interesting. That's our first impression. And you never know. A judge could have their head down finishing up their scores or writing notes or something for that walk onto stage, or they might be watching you. And you, the moment you step out of those wings, that's our very, very first impression, even before the music has started. So you have to get into that mindset of here we go. I'm in my quote unquote character, whatever place you need to be to get emotionally connected and invested into the performance that you're about to deliver. So even just the way you walk on stage tells me so much in your body language on, are you terrified in this moment? Are you confident and ready to like, like give us your all? Or are you just like, here we go. Like, let's, let's just do this, you know? So I do, I, I, and there are a lot of dancers who change my mind after mm-hmm. they start performing, you know, I can, I feel like, oh man, they look super, super nervous with that walk on. And then they just like blow my mind when the music starts. I'm like, wow. And maybe they just needed the music to get into it. But uh-huh. I, I do think it, um, it does change the approach and it does change. I, I mean, a hundred percent, the performance score on if you, I mean, let's be real. We're all going to be nervous. I I get nervous going on stage. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. And I can only imagine, especially for soloists in particular, getting on stage, being in that vulnerable place where it's just you, stage lights, and an open stage. That's kind of terrifying if you think about it. So um, I'm sure that all dancers have the butterflies and jitters before they go on stage, but also remembering that that is your safe place and you are here because you love it and you are here to show us what you, your hard work and your passion for dance. If you really dig deep to try to find that, I think that um, you can you can get that performance quality up a little bit and let those that uh, lack of confidence, if, if that's what it is, or terrified, scared uh, expression just pass by and and yeah. dig deep to find that performance because that is a it is a part of the score is performance. It is. Yeah. And I, I was, I was hoping you would say that you can tell and you see it and it influences because I was same idea of getting in that right mindset of like, you can't wait for the music to start to be mm-hmm. in the right place. And so right. if, it, if you're not there by the walk on, it's not going to, for most dancers, it's not going to miraculously change when the music starts. And yeah. so being able to like how you're talking to yourself and what you're thinking about matters before the music starts, but you're going to see it in your body. And yep. yeah, the judges see it too. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I figured you'd, you'd agree. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's turn to teaching since again, I know most people listening are teachers and coaches. Uh, will you talk about creating a safe space in your class? I've seen you kind of talk about it before and something that seems to be really important to you. So uh, do you believe it's a teacher's responsibility to create that culture in a classroom? And if so, how do you create that positive class experience? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, you have to make sure that your dancers feel safe with you, feel like they can be open with you. And like we just said, like, you know, dance can be very vulnerable and you have to really, you know, find that expression through your movement usually. So um, creating that environment, even in something as like a training class or choreography class or an improv class or 
a jazz class, a hip hop class, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think that the environment is what is really going to make the dancers fall in love with dance even more. So uh, that is such a huge uh, skill to learn how to do. And a lot of teachers are great at it and others might struggle with that. Um, pending what their experiences were like in their studio setting growing up. I think that a lot of people always go back to that, you know, we, we as educators always reference back to what did we learn when we were younger. And sometimes if you look back, maybe the environment that you had wasn't the best, but maybe that's all you know. And you right. never have had another opportunity that was uh, welcoming and warm and encouraging. So um, you want to try to create that that appropriate environment. And not, I mean, of course, we have to be harsh sometimes. We have to reprimand a little bit sometimes. But at the same, to, for discipline purposes. But um, at the same time, you don't want to scare dancers off. And mm -hmm. I know for me... Um, Right now, I'm, I'm teaching a lot in New York City at Steps on Broadway, and I think that one of the harder things to think about in, in those types of settings for me, it's different approach than if I'm teaching kids because I'm now working with like adults and professionals usually. So mm -hmm. how, do I, how do I create an environment for them that they want to continue to come back to my class versus in a studio setting – the kids are registered usually for the whole year. Like they're yeah. probably coming back next week. They're, you know, they're in this studio training setting and there's a bunch of different teachers that they're learning from every single day, every single week. So you don't want them to go to another studio. You want to keep them in, in the studio as well. But like, especially at, when I teach at steps, it is, it is challenging for me to create a place where I feel like I'm not overstepping my position as a teacher because I'm the same. A lot of times I'm the same age as the dancers that are dancing in the room with me. And it feels a little like a, like a different approach that I'm still navigating where I don't want to give them too many corrections and scare them off because they're professionals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think it about different. it all the time because it's very different. Whereas like when it's the younger dancers, studio kids, 18 and younger, I'm the adult in the room. I'm the experienced professional in the room. So I'm hap happy to go give them corrections. That's what I'm there to do. And a lot of, I've talked to different professionals about it, class takers that take class regularly in New York. And um, something I always mention to people that sometimes you don't realize is that once you become an adult and in this dance world, once you become a professional, you kind of stop getting criticism and feedback and corrections. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It, you know, in in an audition setting, you go to auditions and you get cut and you don't know why. And you wonder and question, why did I get cut for years and years and years? And they never give you feedback. The people behind the table don't say, oh, well, it's because you didn't point your foot on that batma. That's not what, like, that's, yeah. they never tell you it. So, and it's probably not even that. It was probably you wore the wrong outfit or they didn't like your hair or whatever it is. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to uh, try to create that appropriate atmosphere in the room and even speaking on auditions I actually do uh, I just finished yesterday actually we I teach for RWS Entertainment which is a company uh, based in New York City but they they cast for cruise ships and mm -hmm. I am the audition choreographer for them so we just had two rounds of New York City auditions the past two days and that's another thing that I try to bring into that atmosphere of the room is a safe environment where we're not overly judging you where you feel like you don't have to be exactly perfect all the time because auditions mm -hmm. are so scary and stressful and if there's mm -hmm. smiling happy faces behind the table it's gonna make your experience more enjoyable and you can relax and you can perform your best yeah. And 
that I've been in so many audition rooms where I'm terrified. I don't like the vibe. And Mm -hmm. if I'm not, if I'm not vibing with the energy in the room, I'm probably not going to like the job if I got the job, you know? So yeah, I I think it all ties in and in from the training to the class taking to auditioning to being a studio owner. Absolutely. Oh, it's all the same. But I think that's such an interesting point about not ever really getting feedback so much as an adult. And it's like such a weird irony of like, I'm finally in a place as an adult where like, I want the feedback, like, tell me what I'm doing. And it, you know, maybe have moved past some of the insecurities where it feels like you want more of that, but then you're not getting it anymore. But I I can see that such a challenge to navigate that as peers even. Yeah. It's, it's, it's truly, I think like the, the mental aspect of being a professional adult performer is so hard to navigate. It it is something I've, I've never even really thought about the mental health aspect of dance much until I started to be professional and, you know, thinking about the rejection, think, always questioning the why, not understanding why this happened, not understanding how casting works, not understanding how Broadway works and that most of the time it's you have to be you have to fit into the costume of the replacement mm-hmm. because it's going to save the producer's money and it has yeah. nothing to do with your talent, it has nothing to do with this or that. It's something so minuscule and small that you has nothing to do with all the work you've put in for your training. Mm-hmm. And that, it, that was such a hard thing for me to get my head wrapped around when I was first breaking in because I was like, I was the best dancer in the room. Why did I get cut? And mm-hmm. it was, well, you're 5'2", and they wanted to hire a 5'8". Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes me feel a little bit better. But right, like I can't also, control that. But Yes. But that's the thing that's hard to figure out. And like I think that can be absolutely relatable to a lot of dancers that are training up training in studios as well, or even teachers who might be, you know, looking for a new teaching job or things, you know, there's so many things that are out of your control that you've done what you could. And there, it was just not meant to be in that moment. And you have to take it as like a learning, like a stepping stone and a choice, just change it up next time and see if anything works better in your favor. You just really never know. And that's a tough thing to figure out in this industry. It is. Well, and it's something I talk about a lot that my listeners are familiar with of that idea of control, the controllables. And like, I think Mm -hmm. I love that you're saying that in the professional industry, it's the same thing of like, you can control basically your concentration, your like focus and attitude and your effort. And then beyond that, the person behind the table is making choices that you can't, may not be able to do anything different to change what they're looking for. Yeah. It's funny because especially being on the other side of the table now and mm-hmm. and when I teach on conventions, even like a lot of times I would, they have audition classes. So um, I, I, I'm, I love auditioning. I, I've always been the type of dancer that has really enjoyed it. I, I look at every experience as a new class, a new opportunity. I learn new things from the choreographers. I like getting in front of people. I like learning on the spot. I like uh, like awesome. that competitive feel in the room is, is exciting for me. Um, there's a lot of people that don't like auditioning, but I do feel like that uh, it is different approach when I'm sitting on the opposite end and not being the auditioner and now being the audition choreographer and getting to see how casting is determining certain things. And um, it's truly eye-opening and it's made me learn, hmm, maybe like I've learned so much from the choices that people are making in front of me on how, how I could do better the next time I'm in that position. Uh, So it's, 
and of course, not everyone's going to get an opportunity to sit behind the table, but I do, I, I think it is interesting to see how it all works. And there's more that is out of your control um, in those moments where you've done what you could. And, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, again, it goes back to the feedback. Like, do you want to know what you could have done better next time? (laughs) And most of the time you never get to hear that except unless you're like a, you know, 18 and younger training dancer who's going to competitions and requesting that type of feedback or right. in the studio regularly. I love your mindset about auditions of going into it as a learning experience. I think when yeah. your frame around that experience is I get to show I'm excited. I love the energy, mm-hmm. like rather than I have to prove it's like I get to show and that it's a subtle mindset shift, but I imagine it makes a big difference in not only your experience in the room, but your opportunities to um, get jobs because of that like mindset approach to auditions. Absolutely. And, and too, like, let's be real. There are some auditions that I would go to that I was just like, Meh, I'm just going to go like, you know, this is the only yeah. audition today. I don't really want this job, but like, maybe it'll be fun. <laughs> it's a free class. And your approach when you walk in is very different than if you're going in for that job that you want. Like if you want that job, you're going to be completely tuned in, focused, like doing whatever it takes or just kind of just, you know, go through the motions and I'm just here to be here. So even that type of mindset is is interesting to think about when I look back to it. I've been way more selective with what I go into now. I'm not really going to go waste my time. But when I was first starting out, I would go to absolutely everything just to kind of get my name out there and get the experience and um I'm, I mean, now I'm wondering, like, could they tell behind the table based <laughs> on my body language if I was like in it to win it or just kind of showing up today? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, maybe they could. Um, well, and you you said that you you like learning on the spot that in the court, in the audition setting of having that quick choreography. Uh, and I feel like that's such a unique skill for dancers. And there's some dancers that they, some of them are just like, oh, I just don't learn fast. And it's become like this fixed mindset thing of like, I right. just don't do that. Yeah. Um, so I assume if you like it, you feel like you're also relatively good at it or it wouldn't be fun. Um, so uh, any thoughts or tips for dancers or choreographies who are teaching either side of this about picking up choreography quickly? Absolutely. I'll definitely start on the the teaching and choreography end of it. And I, I I can't remember where I've talked about this before, but I think it's an interesting um, perspective and approach because I've been on all sides of it. And there have been many times where even if I'm taking a class or if I'm going to an audition where as the dancer in the room learning the material, if the choreographer is not giving me the tools to succeed and giving me the details properly teaching it accurately, giving the timing, the counts, the musicality, the where's my focus supposed to be here. I mean, if the actual teacher isn't a good teacher, then Mm -hmm. I'm not going to succeed. And that's something that I've been so frustrated in rooms so many times, because again, I know that I'm a great dancer that can pick up things quickly. But if you aren't explaining it properly, how am I supposed to do my job? Like (laughs) you in that moment, like the court, and here's another like, spin off to that a lot of people who are doing these choreography jobs a lot of the choreographers they are hired to be a choreographer not a teacher mm-hmm. now there are different two different skill sets. 
yes, different skill set. There are some exceptional choreographers out there that will blow your mind with what they end up create. They are the artists, they are the creators, but they need other people to then dissect it and explain it, to then teach yeah. it to other people. And that is okay. Everyone has mm-hmm. their strengths or weaknesses, but a, a lot of times choreographers will be put in positions where they have to teach and maybe that it's not their strength. And then the dancers in the room are frustrated and confused because they aren't getting those tools. So I always try to approach in my on my end from all the years that I've been an auditioning dancer in New York City and all the different experiences that I've had that I want to give the dancers the tools to succeed when I am the choreographer. So I, I let them ask me questions. I give them the counts. I give them the rhythm. I give them the lyrics. I give them every head look. I demonstrate it for them if I have to. Like I want to make sure that you are going to have the best audition that you can have. And with that, they will probably succeed and feel good when they leave the room. I think that's the important thing. Like, sure, we're going to have a good day and a bad day. Maybe they taught it faster than you wanted, but they taught it well. And it was actually you today that that wasn't your weren't there and you weren't picking yeah. it up as fast as you wanted to because there's that scenario too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I have the time and I can teach it thoroughly and I, I can tell that the dancers really, you know, grasp the material properly, then it's a win for me because I've done my job and now it's up to you. To, uh, to the dancer. So right. for the dancers out there who are feeling frustrated if they're not able to pick up the material quick, it might not be you all the time. And I, yeah, I want them to know that. Because, yeah, it's like, I mean, who knows? It, it might be you. Like, you, you might feel like, well, you know, they really did give me a lot of details, but what's wrong? I can't get this quick enough. Um, and to me, I just always say, like, if you're not a counter, start counting because me as a counter – the choreographer might not give you the counts and they might say like, assume ta ta, but I'll mm-hmm. always know in my head a one and two. Mm-hmm. Everybody learns differently, but if that works for you, then do that. If they're count, if the choreographer is counting and you don't like to count and you like a rhythm, then put, put it into your head as a rhythm. One, they said it's one and two, three and four. Then you go, shum ta ta, a fum ba ba, like whatever you mm-hmm. need to do to make it for you as the individual, because everyone's going to learn differently and yeah. you have to be adaptable and willing to work on the fly. And I think that's probably what could hinder dancers from picking up quickly is if they're only ever learning one way of, of learning in their studio setting, then they're never being exposed to other ways of, you know, taking in the material. So um, getting out into different types of classes with different types of teachers. That's why I'm a huge fan of dance conventions because they really just kind of like, put you through, okay, you're in a jazz class over here, you're in contemporary over here, you got to go to hip hop in the next hour, and your brain's moving a mile a minute and trying to switch gears to adapt to different teaching methods, different genres of dance, and how to interpret the material. So I think the more experience in that, the better. Absolutely. I think you're right. We get comfortable learning from a certain person or two in your studio, which is great. And there's a comfortability with that and a, a place for growth. But for picking up choreography, you have to test lots of different ways of learning it. And I love that you talk about the rhythm versus the counts. I was talking to um, another professional about this, of how um, I would say, I'm the counter. I have to have the counts. If I don't, it drives me crazy. I will find them. I can count anything. Yes. And he would, and he was like, I'm all rhythm. Screw the counts. I can't do it. And it's like, you can be successful both ways, but I like your point that it definitely influences how you pick up choreography. Cause if you're, if the teacher's doing it in your like not preferred style, 
I could see some dancers, they kind of just shut down and they're like, oh, he's not counting. I can't do this. It's like, okay, that's not how it's being taught, but how could, how do you receive it? And can you put it in the way that fits you? Absolutely. Yeah. There have been so many times when I, I'm in that position all the time because I'm also a counter. So I will, no matter what, convert it into counts in my head mm-hmm. and I'll hear them say it. Then I'll watch them demonstrate it. And most of the time when they demonstrated, it's not the counts or the rhythm uh-huh. that they said it was supposed to be. And then yes. I'm like, oh, so you're doing that on the and not the five. Okay, got it. It's in my head now. I hear that musicality. I have to really make sure I'm connecting it to the music for it to really sink in. Because sure. it, they under, the choreographer understands it best. They created it. So it, it could be harder for them to explain it properly. And then when they demonstrate it and you're like, whoa, 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 that is not the counts that you said. Like, that's always the most frustrating part for me yes. as a learner. Because, yes. it's, well, you know, it sometimes like, happens. It does. Well, I was, I like lots of dancers and I think about like younger studio and like school teams. Sometimes you will learn like the entire thing almost and then put it to music. And oh. then there's like, oh, I can't do it or I can't go that fast. And it's like, well, because maybe the counts were wrong or it's like there's a musicality that's not a straight count that you haven't heard before. And so, yeah, when you teach, do you, I guess when you speak to that, do you go more like back and forth the count to music to like how to help make sure that that doesn't happen? Yeah. I, I always will give a count and I always tell everyone that I, I start off class, especially if it's a new, uh, new dancers. And I say, I'm a counter. So if you don't like counts, start loving counts, but (laughs) I will give you the tools to succeed. So if there is a lyric that I'm hitting a certain move on within my choreography, I'll be like, this is on the lyric and, or whatever the lyric may be. So Mm -hmm. I will try to, um, make, but it's also count five. Like I will try to connect those dots. So they're learning in the process of, Oh wow. Okay. I see what we're going for here because most of the time I will sing the rhythm as well as I count it. So -hmm. if there's like syncopation being uh, included in the eight count, I'll try to, to reflect, reflect that in the way that I say the counts. So I, you know, that's an accent here, or if this is a pushed beat here or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. then once I always tell dancers that once the music comes on, it should be like easy breezy. I should be able to, if I gave you the counts and you are counting it properly, I should be able to put any song on and you're doing those exact counts to any song. Mm -hmm. Of course, my material is created to this particular song and that's why there's musicality. But Mm -hmm. if you are a counter, you should be able to, I could put any song on. Mm -hmm. People always are like, oh, well, I like to dance the lyrics. And I'm like, well, how do you dance the lyrics if you don't even know what the song is yet? Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, why? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I have to hear the song. I'm like, yeah, but I haven't even played it yet. I've given you yeah. the count. So now I need you to like dance to the music with the counts. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm just a huge advocate and like huge supporter of counting your music. And even for me, someone who didn't grow up singing and didn't grow up in musical theater, and that's where my career led me in New York City, understanding counts helped me so much to transition Mm -hmm. to using my voice as I perform and learning how to read a sheet music. Not that I really know how, but I can tell that's a whole note. That's a half note. That's a rest here. And Mm -hmm. connecting that, it was just so helpful. I always think about dancers who want to be on Broadway that don't know how to count. And it stresses me out for them because I'm like, it's going to be 10 times harder for you to, to 
to transition into that because yeah, you also have to learn how to sing, but now you have to connect your voice to your movement on a specific count. Like it's yeah. a whole new layer. So I'm yeah. big, I'm a big supporter of, of counting and it, as a teacher, I incorporate every, everything possible because yeah. I don't, I, I want people to adapt to, to my teaching method, but at the same time, I don't want them to fail. You know, my right. job is to educate and um, I want to make sure that they're feeling good about it. Right. Oh, and I, I like that. And I think it's so powerful as a teacher to be able to give multiple modalities to make sure, like said, that they are successful. But yeah. I could see with the count to rhythm and like if you are someone who doesn't count, like it doesn't mean you can't be successful. But right. if you hear rhythm, it's hard to translate to counts. If you hear counts, you can do both. Like, yeah, that's true. Kind of, that's true. You could, I feel like as a counter, as you were saying, like I could listen to a teacher who's not using counts and still get it. Exactly. Versus the other way around doesn't really work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, honestly, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And it's so true. I like that you brought in the professional side of it too, because it's going to make a big difference in the audition setting and you're with somebody new and being able to adapt to what they want. Yeah. And that's, that's the hardest part about being a dancer in the industry is working with different choreographers and what their expectation is for you in the room. You might not even get the opportunity to be in the room with the choreographer because you didn't book the job because you weren't counting or you weren't doing the rhythms or you weren't adapting enough in the audition. So then when they need to know in that audition that you are moldable and adaptable and willing to take a note, willing to pick up fast, willing to have a smile on your face while you do it, not complain, like all of these aspects of being just a, like a good dancer, but a good human at the same time, all comes into play in something as small as a quick 20 minute audition. And then once you get on the job, are you going to be able to deliver those things? Yes. yes. Great advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask one last question before we go that I sure. love to check in with uh, especially like successful professionals for your take on success. Like what does success mean to you? Mm. What does success mean? Oh, that's a great one. I mean, I think that success can mean a lot of different things. And I think a lot of people probably put uh, success very high up on their list of these dream goals that we have to check off our list or we're not successful. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that we need to make some realistic goals on our checklist as well. And um, also some stepping stone goals because each thing will probably lead you to the next. I mean, we started off this conversation talking about how my goal of being in the Heights, being in, in the Heights on Broadway didn't happen. And that was a, that was a goal of mine. That was like, I will, I will be successful if I'm on Broadway and in this show, but I had to then take other jobs to lead me to the next one. And I think that's success and that's progress in the process. Um, I will say that like, it's, it's hard to not, uh, question ourselves and, and our success in the industry, no matter how much you've done and how much you've achieved. For me, a goal of mine that I feel like will be the final thing on my list of checklist career successes is to be on Broadway. And mm -hmm. funny enough, I actually haven't been on the Broadway. And for a Broadway performer in New York City and an auditioning professional who's been in this biz now for 15 years, that's pretty much everyone's goal 
And no matter how many things you've achieved in the process, if you as a as a Broadway professional still hasn't can't say that you are on the Broadway, you feel like you haven't succeeded. And it's so discouraging. And, and, it, and the past few years, I've had to really put that out of my head because it was a goal for so long. And it's not really necessarily my goal anymore, to be completely honest. Um, but I've felt I've questioned my ability of, well, am I even qualified to teach quote unquote, musical theater and Broadway on a dance convention, because I have never been on the Broadway. Have I performed in Broadway shows? Absolutely. National tours and regional productions with the original choreography with some of like the biggest choreographers in the industry. That's a success right there. I need to look back at that and say, wow, what a success. What an achievement. So many people haven't had that opportunity. And I somehow got that opportunity and did it and lived it and grew from it. And I have to be proud of that. Um, But it was it's definitely mentally very hard to uh, put a goal that you've set yourself up for for your entire career you still haven't checked off and and finally say i don't need that to be successful it's so hard to do and i i think that yes we can dream big we absolutely can but it doesn't define who you are as an artist who you are as a person who you are in your career it absolutely doesn't define you you can set a new path for yourself you never know where life will take you i didn't move to new york city to become a convention teacher on for dance dance conventions but it fell into my lap and i am so glad that it did because i absolutely love it it's like education is something that I love to do. So you don't know where your life will take you. And I look at at my education career and I'm like, wow, it's been so successful. I've taught on multiple different conventions. I like people, dancers look up to me. Like I see my name on people's resumes now because I've trained them. Like that is so successful, even though I haven't been on Broadway. That's okay. Like that's just, one goal that I haven't checked off and maybe I won't. And I'm absolutely okay with that at this point, but I do think those hurdles are hard to get over sometimes for a lot of people who have those really big goals in life and just know that it's uh, your career is going to take you in so many different directions and you just got to go along with the ride and be ready for it. That is all such good advice. I love like goals are fluid, but success is like self-defined that you get to decide if it is. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate yes. that. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, yes, absolutely. Bef- before we leave, will you just share where to find you uh, so people can learn more from you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram is the main platform that I post on a lot. I I don't do TikTok, so sorry about it. Me either. Uh, <laughs> I just can't. I Not can't my get thing. into it. Um, but I love Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at Courtney.Ortiz is where I post all my professional career teaching fun things. You can also listen to my podcast called Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. I know I've had you on as a guest, and I think that was season three, if I'm correct. I don't, I'll have to get back to you on that. But but it was a great discussion. And um, there's, we talk about all things not just competitive dance, but just dance in general. So if you want more dance chats, give a listen. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Impact Dance Adjudicators. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing today, Courtney. It was really fun. Awesome. Thanks for having me.